So this beautiful woman standing next to me, I want, I want your attention, is Catherine Custer. So Catherine is such a lovely person. She really is. I've gotten to just get to know you probably in the last, like, probably seven or eight months. Yeah. Just really, And she has such a heart for God. She was one of our teachers for the B-Series, and it was just amazing. And so... She's going to share tonight, um, Catherine's married to Tom, which you've seen Tom around here, and she's a grandma for how many? Grandma, three, three? amazing grandkids, so, and we love our grandkids. Yeah, we do. So with that, please give a Calvary Chapel Women's Ministry welcome for Catherine. Oh, thank you. That is so nice. Thank you so much. Well, we have a lot to cover This was, oh my goodness, there was just so much in this passage. I loved it. And I really loved Debbie's analogy last week about the roller coaster. Wasn't that great? Just kind of, that was so great. Just kind of coming up and now we're going over the top and we're going to go zoom. And we are going to be going fast. We have a lot to cover. So we are going to dive right in. Um, I just want to read the text first. You've all got a handout. I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. So if your Bible isn't that, you can look at that handout. And I do have it at the top of that, so you can follow along. All right, Colossians 3, 1 to 11. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us instructions on how to live this life with you, a life that pleases you. Father, give us ears to hear what you have to say tonight. Speak to the deepest parts of each one of us. Tailor-made for each person, Lord, Lord, and keep me from error, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, when, after I first read this passage, after Denise asked me to teach, this, this picture of my granddaughter came to mind that my daughter-in-law had posted on Facebook. And she, she's 12 now, but she was five or six years old. And she wanted to make the family dinner all by herself. And so she uh, picked all the ingredients that she thought would make a great soup. And she made a pickled pepperoni pickle soup garnished with shredded cheese, a dash of lime juice, and some flour for texture. She was so proud of it. And I love my granddaughter's heart that she wanted to make this soup, but she didn't have a recipe. 
she didn't have instructions that would make that soup edible. <laughs> and so she had to guess at it. And she had to guess at what she thought would work. Aren't you glad God doesn't make us guess on how to live a life that pleases him? He gives us clear instructions in his word, his truth to live by. Second Timothy tells us that all scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. And because it comes directly from God, we know it's trustworthy. Up to this point, Paul has been writing about Jesus. We've learned about his supremacy, about our position with him as believers, our identity with him, our freedom from legalism, and our new life in Christ. And it's laid the foundation for what Paul is now going to tell us about practical living. Where the rubber meets the road, as Debbie's been saying. And it just, it just reminded us just a couple weeks ago that we cannot live practically for Christ without having a firm grip on who he is and what he says. And this is how Paul structures his letters. He starts out with truth, and at some point we're going to see a therefore. How then should we live? To walk in a manner that fully pleases the Lord. Because we're different now. We've changed Look back at Colossians 1, 6 from the first week. It says this same good news that came to you is going out over all the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives, right? We have changed lives, right? Right. But we know, we know that becoming like Christ doesn't just happen the moment we put our faith in him. There is this process of transformation, sanctification that takes an entire lifetime. The King James Dictionary defines transformation to change the form of, to change the shape or appearance, to metamorphose as a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. I love that. So I wanted to, this is my, my, these are butterf- my butterflies. I have them hanging around my house. Actually, they're all tangled up, but I do keep them around my house and in a couple areas and I give them to friends and I, my grandchildren. And I love these because these butterflies, when I look at them, they remind me of my new life in Christ because butterflies don't live like caterpillars anymore. They don't, they're crawling around on their bellies, eating their way through leaves. They're new. They live like butterflies. And they also remind me that change is a process. And then they're falling down. There we go. Well, we'll just let them fall. Change is a process. That God is continuing to change us. And that butterflies are not passive in their transformation. It involves struggle. And we are also a work in progress. We are not passive, and it can involve struggle. There are things that we have to do, and there are simply things we cannot do anymore. And we have choices to make. So the goal here in the first few verses, Paul says, is to live our life with eternal perspective. Look to Jesus. Because he's the reason we can do anything that Paul's going to tell us, right? It's all about him. Because we have died with him, we've died to this old life, 
right? There's been this drastic split from our old life. We've been raised with him to a new life. We have a new way to think. We have a new way to respond. And our real life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul says, look up. Look to Jesus. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. In the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your hearts. Set your affections. What's important to you? Keep seeking the things above. It's a lifestyle. It's letting the things of heaven be our focus and let those things direct our lives, not the things of the earth and not what society tells us is normal. Because I don't have to tell you, we are inundated with messages telling us how we should think and what we need and what we deserve, right? Have to be rich, have to be beautiful, have this degree, that house, this job. I can have what I want, do what I want, go where I want because I deserve it. It's all about me. That's what our culture tells us. But it keeps us from focusing on what really matters, and that's Christ. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, there's our word, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if we're going to avoid being drawn into those messages of how we should think and how we should live our lives, ladies, we have to think. Where am I looking? What does my life say about what I really believe will make me happy? If it's the things on this earth, ladies, we need to rethink and we need to change what you're looking at. Did you know there are, on average, 6 million car accidents a year? 6 million. And of those 6 million, 10 to 16% are due to the driver looking in the wrong direction. That's 600,000 a year on the low end. So when my son was very, he's, you know, 38 now, when he was little in a car seat next to me, and we were driving somewhere, and he was doing something, I don't remember what, he was I don't remember, but I turned over and I started fiddling with them and I took my eyes off the road and all of a sudden he goes, tree. And I go, ah! Because I had veered off the road and was driving into an orange grove right directly towards a tree. So I slammed my brakes, had to get back on the road because I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. And I have to just tell you this, I practiced this. I, I tested this last week on the way to church. It probably wasn't smart, but I did it. I was thinking about all this, and I thought this had been a long time since I'd learned, you know, since I'd had this experience. So I'm driving along, made sure it was safe, and I thought, I'm just going to look out the window for just a minute. So I looked out. There was nobody coming. I looked out, and I started counting. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, and then I got scared, so I came back. But do you know what? my car started veering ever so slightly to the right because I wasn't looking where I was going. Where your focus is, that's where you go. You cannot keep a foot in this world and hope to move forward in a different direction. If you want to move forward with your life in Christ, you need to make sure your heart is, your heart is on him and is centered on him. Because ladies, we're not a part of this world anymore. We really aren't. We just live here. Our real life 
Paul says is hidden in Christ with God. It is secure with Jesus. So look up. Take moments throughout your day to look at Jesus. It's possible. Even in our really busy schedules, I have an app on my phone. And um, because I don't drink enough water. And I get to the end of the day, and I forget, and I forget, and I forget, and then I haven't had any. So I, there's this app on my phone, and about every hour or so, it goes, you know, like bubbles going through water, and it reminds me to drink water. And so at the same time, I drink water, and because you can only do one thing at a time, and you can only think about one thing at a time, that's how our brains work, right? I drink my water, and I can say, Jesus, you're my living water. Jesus, you are what's important. Jesus, I want you. This is not my home. What's going around me? It's about, everything is about you. And, and though I can just spend that moment with him and I can readjust my view. There was a French monk um, back in the 17th century. You've probably heard of him called Brother Lawrence. And he wrote letters to a friend, which were eventually turned into a book called Practice the, Presence of, the Practice of the Presence of God. And um, a great book, if you've never read it. And it's been rewritten into English and then modern-day English. And he says, in the modern-day English, he says, we ought to stop every once in a while to worship God in the depth of our being. Taste him as if in passing. Touch him, as it were, by stealth, and know that God is with you in everything you do. I love that imagery. Little touches throughout the day when you can just stop just for a moment, refocus, and adjust your view and set your mind on him. The more you do it, the more you'll do it. It becomes a lifestyle. Now, Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, lists some things that we need to get rid of in our transformation. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death. Paul starts with an execution. And I wondered why he started out with something so dramatic, because I would have started out, you know, softer and probably worked my way up to it, but he doesn't. In my study, I learned that one of the things that made Christians stand out in the ancient world was their separation from sexual immorality. So put yourself in their position for a minute. Newer believers, they're surrounded by pagan religions that, would, that they would have come out of, where sex as a form of worship was required in many, if not most of them. That's what their normal was. So Paul, what Paul is saying here to make the choice to abstain from sexual immorality was radical. It, it was considered as strange then as it is today, and it is considered strange today. Because do we not live in a sex-crazed world? You know, back to those sources that tell us how we need to think and live, for crying out loud, they use it to sell hamburgers. You know, trying to infiltrate how we think and desensitize us it is completely opposite of what God tells us. We're called, ladies, to live differently. Not like those around us. And, and to understand how serious it is. I didn't grasp that in my early life. I didn't get that. Paul writes to the Thessalonians 
abstain from sexual immorality. To the Corinthians, flee sexual immorality. To the Ephesians, he says, immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. To the believers in Galatia, he said to them, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality and impurity. And to the Colossians, he says, put it to death. He means it. These are not suggestions. It's something we must do. And he starts listing them. And it's interesting to notice the order that he lists these. Because he begins with outward actions and then goes to more generalized way of thinking of motives which are internal that if not put to death, they will uh, lead to the actions. He says, put to death sexual immorality. Any sexual activity outside of marriage. Any. Including adultery. Impurity. And perverted, immoral lifestyle. Lust. An inward emotion that is aroused by an external object. It does not rest until satisfied. You know the thing about lust? Is that it just kind of sits under the surface and simmers. It just kind of simmers in our hearts. And when we feed it, instead of killing it, it just grows and grows and grows and it leads to impurity and sexual immorality. Get rid of lust. And evil desires. The King James Bible uses the word concupiscence. I Say that word, concupiscence. Isn't that fun to say? Concupiscence. I love it. <laughs> it's a really fun word for me to say, but it's not a fun definition. It means deep longing to pursue and possess something which God has forbidden. Uncontrollable urge for immorality. You know who I think of when I read this? I think of Amnon, David's oldest son in 2 Samuel and his evil desire for his half-sister Tamar. You know, he feeds that desire. He makes plans to be with her. It ends up raping her and hating her. And it was all kinds of devastating damage came out of that and it ended up costing him his life. James 1.15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Any fleeting pleasure of sexual immorality is very costly, ladies. And Paul says, kill it. Don't wait to feel like it. Don't blame God. It's easy to blame God when you're in this kind of a lifestyle. I know. It's easy to say, gee, if he hadn't allowed X, Y, and Z to happen to me, then I wouldn't be acting this way. We can't blame God. You kill it. If this is going on in your life, stop it. It will destroy you. If this is a weakness or a temptation in any area, run. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself anymore. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Really, run. The moment danger presents itself, 
You may not have seen the movie Forrest Gump, but you may have heard the phrase, run, Forrest, run. That's the intensity that I feel here. Run. Don't play games with it. I've had to do this. I've had to literally say out loud, get up, turn around, start walking. Take a step. Take another step. Until I was out of danger. There's no shame in that. Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. Kill it early. Because if you ignore it, or you hope it goes away, or you keep feeding it, you're going to wind up in a war, and that is never good. J. Vernon McGee tells the story of a little boy who's... mm, whose mother called out to him one night when she heard him in the pantry. And she says, where are you? And he goes, I'm in the pantry. He's got the cookie jar open. And she goes, what are you doing? And he says, I'm fighting temptation. (laughs) Ladies, that is not the place to fight temptation. (laughs) If you are not meant to have a cookie, don't fight temptation at the cookie jar. Put it on that chopping block right then and there. Deprive it of its power. Don't wait. Don't wait until you feel like it. God hates it. And he knows it will destroy you. In the book titled um, Paul's Letters from Prison, the author likens this to termite damage. He says one may putty and paint over termite damage in a house, but unless the termites are eradicated and the damaged boards replaced, the house is doomed to collapse. Paul demands the complete extermination of the old way of life. Any sacrifice, hear me on this, any sacrifice that you make to get rid of it is worth it. So stop and think, is this in my life? Is there any hint of this in my life? The way I act and the way I dress Is there any thing I'm feeding, any changes I need to make? Is there any area of danger or temptation that I need to flee? Put it to death. Paul goes on, don't be greedy. And I wondered why Paul put this list, put this in a list of such serious sins. But you know what? It is serious because it turns our desires into idols and those things take the place of God in our hearts and in our lives. Brian Roger writes of green, the strong desire to acquire of greed, uh, excuse me, the strong desire to acquire and keep more and more money and material things is an attack on God's exclusive right to our love, devotion, trust, confidence. It's idolatry. It replaces God. Because no man can serve two masters. Matthew says, Matthew 6, 24, the throne of our heart has only one seat. There's only room for one. And these two things, sexual immorality and idolatry, are paired throughout scripture. They are always taken seriously. They are never swept under the rug. And nowhere is it ever tolerated or downplayed. They simply have no place in a believer's life, and we must separate ourselves from it. So stop and think, is this in my life? Search my heart, O God. Do I have an excessive love and devotion to get and keep? Where's my trust? 
sit in my salary, my retirement, my social security, and do they take the place that is intended for God? Because that was our old life. It's what you used to do. But that old life, Galatians 2.20, has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this all circles back to the first couple of verses. Seeking and setting your mind on things above. Knowing Christ. Seeking Christ. Paul goes on and looks at a second list of vices that we need to get rid of in our transformation. Things that will destroy our relationship with others. I see them Um, like defensive reactions. And here it's interesting that he reverses the order. He goes from the cause to the action. And he says, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And the the King James Version um, says, lay aside, uh, which is also a decisive action. It's like laying aside a garment and putting it away not to pick it up again. Now, I have a drawer at home full of dirty garments because I just kind of keep those things that are torn and old and paint stained because I might need them someday. But when this really hit home for me is when I thought about changing a baby's diaper. Because when you change a baby's diaper and you take that old thing off and you set it aside, you don't intend to pick it up again. I would hope not, except to throw it away. So we get rid of, he says, get rid of anger, that slow burn, that strong feeling of dislike. Take off the rage, outbursts of control, uncontrollable anger that flare up quickly. Have you ever burned a Christmas tree? I keep my Christmas trees out for a couple of months after Christmas, and I cut off the branches, and I stuff them in my fireplace. It's probably not the safest thing to do. But, and then you light it, and it goes, and then it dies right back down again. That's what rage is like uncontrollable. It says, lay aside malicious behavior, wanting to harm someone. It's an evil mindset that conceives of evil things to do to someone else. He goes on, slander, tearing down, insulting someone, and filthy language. You know, when I see this list, I think of, I see it in the life of King Saul. Because he had this jealousy that turned to anger, which exploded into rage as he threw that spear and tried to pin him against the wall. And, um, and then we see malice in 1 Samuel 18. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. That's malice. And Saul discovered that there was a cost to his anger and rage and malice because that's all he could think about. It had completely consumed and taken over his life. Can you relate? I can. But it doesn't reflect our new life in Christ. It doesn't show our transformation. Lay it aside. Don't pick it up again. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And then he caps this list off with, don't lie to each other. And I think we all know what that means. Not telling the truth on purpose. 
regardless of the reason, tell the truth. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Here's the thing, ladies. Satan doesn't give us a price tag. He holds these things out to us on a platter, and he goes, Here, you're going to love this. But you don't know the cost until he hands you the bill, and it is expensive. And I wonder, I wonder how many circumstances and how much pain we experience simply because we allow things to grow in our heart that should have been put to death and that should have been laid aside. They will not satisfy, and they will keep you from the abundant life that Jesus has to offer. It's easy. We can sit all pretty in church and sing songs, use Christian language, And these things can still be simmering beneath the surface. Lust, anger, greed. I know. I lived it. It doesn't work. The person next to you doesn't know it's there, but you do. God does. That's our old life, ladies. Butterflies don't go back to living like caterpillars. They live differently. And we can choose to act differently and to put on, as verse 11 says, and to live in our new nature, which is being renewed as we learn to know Jesus and become like him. It's daily steps. It's daily decisions and actions as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. One commentary writes of Philippians 2.12, with distrust of conscience taking heed lest you fall. See, you might not be struggling with sexual immorality or rage or, you know, most of them, but I'll tell you, no one is above falling. No one is above falling. Be watchful against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ, but not in your own strength, no, for it is God who is at work in you. Because, see, ladies, we're not on our own. We put our faith in Christ, and he doesn't say, good luck, I'm rooting for you. He doesn't. We don't have the power to do that, but he does. It's his. I can't, Lord, but I know you can. He delights in those words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Help me, Jesus. He loves that prayer. Come with me, he says. I'll help you. And he's right there with us, always working, always changing us, always transforming us to reflect Jesus because it's all about him. He's all that matters. Simply Jesus. How do you do this? How do you kill, lay aside, put off, put on? Ladies, you have to put in. Colossians 2, 7, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Abide. Armor up, like Merce said. Slow down. Spend time in God's word, pen and paper in hand, and let the word of God dwell richly in you. Turn your eyes to Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I just praise you and I thank you that our life is hidden with you. God, that we are a new creation, dead to sin, raised to life. God, help us this week to lay aside everything that is displeasing to you, to make those daily choices, to set our minds on things above where Christ is and his, in whose name I pray, amen.